Welcome back to the program podcast brought to you by Two Brothers Detailing Services. Please give them a call. Area code 561-572-5854. Again, it's 561-572-5854. They detail my cars. You can see it on the show page. Some of the great work that they do. Uh, They are prompt. They're on time. And on top of that, they communicate very well. Give them a call again. 561-572-5854. Again, thank you. Welcome back to the program podcast. This is your boy, Ron Wells. Um, Coming to you live from sunny Palm Springs, Florida on this beautiful Sunday Sunday morning. So let's get into it. Um, since the last time we spoke on the NBA reset, um, the top teams in the East and the West have clinched. We know that the Lakers are the number one seed in the West. We know that the Bucks are the number one overall seed record-wise. So if they make it to the finals, they will get four games to whoever else is three. Um, long and short, um, basically boils down to this. Who's going to take home the final seed in the West um, between Portland, Memphis, and, um, well, it seems like the Suns are coming on strong after their win last night over the Heat. Um, the Heat came in a little shorthanded um, with Jimmy Butler and Goran Jardich not really playing that much, um, but you can't take anything away from Aiton and Booker. You know, people are down in the Suns for their history of the past, well, basically since, since, since Steve Nash left it. Uh, when he went over to the Lakers. But at the end of the day, um, right now the Suns seem to have something cooking, a promising future. And I'm not going to knock them completely. Um, they landed Booker. They picked Aiton. Both of them are playing pretty well right now. Now, moving over to the East, it's pretty much set. But you got uh, teams like Milwaukee and uh, top of the East with Toronto, the the Celtics, and also the Heat. Um, that are really doing some really big things. And I think that that's going to be one of the more fun second and third round series um, heading into the NBA Finals um, outside of, you know, the traditionally exciting West. Now, here's my my point about the Western Conference and the lowest part of the seeding. Um, You're looking at Memphis, who you're hoping doesn't implode because John Moran has been playing his behind off. And that team is basically, he's the straw that stirs that team's dream. Then you have the I don't understand the Blazers, to be honest with you. Um, Melo has been playing very pretty good, um, very good basketball. Then you have um, the ups and downs of their backcourt, which is tr- traditionally their strength. And they still don't have anybody in the front who can consistently score or play defense. Um, you can tell that they're missing Nate McMillan, um, who is surprisingly having the Pacers um, do some really good things um, on the Eastern Conference side. Now, um, looking over... You know, just scrolling through um, everything that's going on with the NBA. Um, I do think that it's going to be, you know, a play-in type situation with this, um, with the eighth and the ninth seed um, battling it out for the eighth and final spot of the um, NBA playoffs. At this point right now, I'm sticking to who's, you know, sticking to chalk, uh, which is Memphis and the Blazers, um, if that scenario occurs. Now, how that scenario occurs is if you're within a game of um, – each other after the eight games in the bubble are done being played um, with three games to go after today. Um, you know, basically, if they're within one spot of each, I mean, one one win of each other, which they currently are, and they've been for like the past four days, um, they'll have a playing game. If Memphis wins or the eighth seed wins, I won't say Memphis, if the eighth seed wins, um, then they secure the eighth seed and the NBA um, playoffs traditionally start. If the eighth seed loses, then then basically the um, lower seed has one more win to get. All they have basically is two and the ninth seed gets in or one and the eighth seed gets in. It's simple as that. 
Um, now, um, one of the surprising injury notes um, of late was uh, Jonathan Isaacs of Magic. He went down with a torn ACL. God bless him. Uh, hope he comes back uh, a year from now and he can you know, play basketball at a high level, probably in 2021 Christmas. He'll probably be back at this point because that's an ACL injury. You really don't come back from that until two years from then. Um, and to be honest with you, you know, next August is a year and following Christmas, it would be a safer time for him to come back. He's a young player. Um, you don't want to ruin him. So that being said, I wouldn't try to force it and try to come back, you know, 2021 in May or, or June with an Orlando Magic team. That's not going to be an NBA final type of contender. Then you have, um, Ben Simmons, who's down probably throughout the whole duration of the bubble, unless the the 76ers find a way to make the NBA Finals. Um, Simmons is a very integral part of what they do. I'm not saying that they can't win a series. I'm not saying that they can't win a two series, but their maturity level that we talked about in the past doesn't see them, or me, I don't see them um, doing that based on the track record. Um, I'll talk more about matchups as it goes along, but I want to see how this eighth, um, seventh, I'm sorry, seventh, eighth, and ninth seed rounds out in the Western Conference Finals. I mean, sorry, Western Conference playoff picture. Again, the West seems to be the more exciting conference, but the top of the conference at the Eastern, um, in the Eastern Conference, is pretty doggone good. Now, the Pacers are somebody you want to look at. They can muck up the whole system. And Victor Oladipo, the decision not to go down to the bubble seems like more and more like not the best of decisions. Um, um, they got this kid, Warren, who has been playing like basically Olympic mellow. <laughs> Uh, I don't know where this kid came from, to be honest with you. I've never heard of him before the bubble, but this kid is playing lights out. And what I said before the bubble got started, this is NBA Junior because you don't have real fans. Yeah, people are watching on TV and there's a certain kind of pressure with that comes with that. But when you got fans in the stands, like it's kind of one of those things where it separates the men from the boys. Players who normally are, you know, the rope guys. And inconsistent are all of a sudden, you know, stars. It's like having, if you play sports, you know about those practice superstars <laughs> where in practice they showing out this, that, and the third, blase, blase, blah, and the coaches are giving them looks that they normally wouldn't give anybody else. And they thinking that they are better than the starter. Uh, TJ Warren falls into that category. Before the bubble started, he was averaging 19, 4, and 1. Since the bubble, He's a 30-point-a-game scorer. <laughs> like, he went from being legitimately, legitimately one of these guys that you just sitting there and you're just like, this is not the same guy. Now, he could have taken advantage of, you know, the fact that he had so much time off, he could develop his game and all this other stuff. But these are some of the same shots he was taking before. It was just he was missing them. Like, that's what it boils down to. He came in the league in 2014. His career average is 15 and 4. Right now, in the NBA bubble, like he's averaging close to 30 points and five rebounds and four assists. Like <laughs> dude is on some Olympic mellow stuff, like for real, for real. I'm not even gonna not even gonna lie. Like the last three seasons he's averaged 19. He's averaging 30, damn near 30. <laughs> it's crazy. By the end of the day, like, I'm loving what the Pacers are doing. Nate McMillan is showing, once again, he shouldn't have lost his job in Portland to begin with. Um, Portland, before Nate McMillan left, was basically a 4, 5, or 6 seed. Now they're struggling to make the 8 seed. 
and it's, they they took the wrong man out of the job. But hey, they they are who they are. They have who they have. And I wish you know Dame and them the best. And you know I like his temperament and all. But dude, having Twitter battles at the end of a game after you blew two free throws, like I get it. You knocked out PG thirteen last year, and you knocked out Patrick Beverly the year before. But uh, like my guy, you're better than them, probably sure. Um, I'm not. I'm not gonna say Paul George so much. Um, and the only reason why you're probably on his level, in my opinion, even though you're a phenomenal player, is because Paul George ran into that stanchion during, you know, the Olympic trials. Outside of that, Paul George, in my opinion, is uber talented at six foot eight, six foot seven, six foot eight, can do anything he wants on the court offensively and defensively. He is so much more better and equipped than you are. Um, offensively, yes, you're a dynamic star. Don't get it twisted. Uh, reminiscent of Gilbert Arenas when he was, you know, cooking from behind the arc and all around the court. But defensively, if I throw defense in there, Paul George is a better player, in my opinion, than Dame Dillard. Um, so at the end of the day, um, that's pretty much the NBA, and that's the wrap-up on that. Now, Major League Baseball, again, is having issues within their system of doing everything because they're traveling, um, and it's not giving a good outlook for a lot of other sports. But right now, the Yankees are doing their thing along with the Cubs and the Dodgers. And, um, and you know, um, the Nationals are doing okay. The Braves are still holding on tight. Um, but at the end of the day, like, you got to um, – all these outdoor leagues who are not put, putting themselves in a bubble have got to pay attention to uh, Major League Baseball at this point. Um, college football is sort of paying attention to it. And it's – it's not looking good for college football. They release schedules in the ACC, SEC, Big 12, um, Big 10. The Pac-12 is still held up because their players are actually smarter. As, I mean, it seems like west of the freaking Mississippi, somebody has some common sense. Um, but you're looking at um, Major League Baseball, just getting back to them. The Oakland A's are doing pretty good. They're 11-4 and four inside inside this quarantine type situation. Um, Minnesota's doing pretty good at 10-5. and five. The Yankees 10-5. Um, the Marlins are actually, because they haven't played a lot by percentage, they're leading the division in the NL East, but it's the Braves. Um, and then you got, um, the Cubs and the Rockies, um, and the Dodgers doing their thing down in the West. So, but again, Major League Baseball has something on their hands. They're on the brink of canceling the season and it's a professional league. I know they want to get these 60 games in, but then they're going to start competing against football in the fall. Now, they may not have to compete against college football because I'm getting towards that conversation now, even though I bounced around a little bit. Like, college football has now seen a major conference, not a power five, but a major conference decide that they're not going to play football. First, it was UConn. Um, sorry, first it was um, um, the um, subdivisions in Division Two and so on and so forth, FCS. Um, level. And then you had the Patriot League with Lehigh and the Colgate and all those other guys. And then you had the Ivy League say, nah, we ain't playing. Now you got the MAC saying they're not playing after UConn said that they're canceling their season um, all together too in football. Now the MAC, <laughs> MAC football canceling their season is is, is kind of big. Like these aren't Terrible schools. Central Michigan was a really good school. Um, Miami of Ohio has some good um, um, wins. You know, you you 
it, it's it's not bad football. These are teams that traditionally make bowl games, um, and they're deciding, uh, for better or for worse, hey, we're going to move this um, to the spring, at least for right now. And now this is logistically, basically, people just need to understand that due to COVID and people not knowing the long-term effects of them, especially with athletes and young athletes who, let's just face it, um, there are... 150,000 college football players right now. Every year, 500 of them penetrate to the NFL. 500. I want you to keep that in mind again. 500 penetrate to the NFL. That means of the 2,300 open roster spots from practice squad to um, game day rosters, you have 2,300 players. And of those 2,300, only 500 crack the league every year between drafted and undrafted free agents. That's a crazy number. People are actually looking at their health. Now, you got a ton of players who decided to pull out, or not a ton, but you're seeing some really major names pull out from college football this season and Power 5 conferences. And the list of them, including Gregory Russo, who is probably or had a chance to be, um, you know, a top 15, top 20 draft pick. Um, And he's pulling out of playing for the University of Miami. A couple of pit players who are draft eligible players are pulling out um, um, to prepare for the NFL draft as well. But here's a list of notable football players right now. You got um, Jalen Twyman, defensive tackle of Pitt I just spoke about. He's, He's definitely... You know, a top 20 pick, maybe top um, 15 pick. Uh, Maryland quarterback Joe Jackson, um, he was the starter or incumbent. Uh, Chandler Wooten out of Auburn, he's pulling out. Rondale Moore, uh, one of the best receivers in the game, he, he's pulling out. Like, literally, Rondale Moore is going first round, and there's no question about it. He could have went first round this year. Um, uh, Jacob um, Paninski of Michigan State, defensive end, he's a starter. Um, he's starting to pull out for the draft. Um, he's a top you know, 60 player going into the draft. Gregory Russo, like I said, top 20. Kerry Martin from West Virginia, he's a safety. Um, he's going to get drafted. Michael Parsons um, is basically this year's version of um, the kid out of Clemson who went to the Arizona Cardinals. Um, played phenomenally in the bowl game versus Memphis last year and had a great year, period. Jack of all trades, safety, can play defensive line, can play linebacker. Like, this kid's pulling out. Big-time players. Rashad Bateman, one of the best receivers in the game, pulling out. Um, Cassidy Woods from Washington State. He's a relative, I don't know. Caleb Farley, one of the best, if not the best DB in the draft, pulling out. Um, Ron Bonner, um, Illinois. So you you get where I'm coming from. Like, these are big-time players. I just named at least 10 players that I see as being top 32 picks in the draft. Um, before the season got started. And you got to start to wonder as an NFL scout, um, as an NFL GM, anybody in the personnel departments of these NFL teams, how are you going to evaluate these kids outside of the film you got from last year? Because that freshman and sophomore tape more than likely is not going to have a bunch of them, a bunch of plays of them, you know, littered with them going across the field and doing a lot of great things. Like Gregory Russo last year came on strong the last five games, but the Hurricanes lost basically five of eight games. So, like, how are you supposed to really evaluate him in in that particular facet of form? 
when there are kids that want to play and they want to, you know, play for the joy of the game, and everybody does, but you got to look at your health and you're not getting paid. Again, you're not getting paid. You're not a union. The Pac-12 are trying. Those kids are actually voicing their concerns. Oh, young men, not kids. They're voicing their concerns about this amateurism BS. But the college football landscape should have been in a bubble to begin with. But you can understand the less than favorable conditions that these colleges or um, college towns have about putting their particular team in a bubble scenario. Because nine times out of ten, I went to a school that was one of those nine times out of ten. The college in the college football season is propping up the freaking economy. Like those players playing on Saturdays is driving in revenue, tourism revenue that they normally would not have. And if you've been in Tallahassee between the months of May and August, you know that 70% of the population leaves that freaking town. And it's a lovely city. It's nice. It looks great. It looks like Main Street, USA. But at the end of the day, college football drives the bus. And college basketball was starting to pick up in Tallahassee as well. So you were getting businesses that were flourishing between the months of basically September and March. The rest of the year, they're not making a god doggone thing. And that's just the fact of the matter. And that's what happens in a lot of these college towns. Nobody's going to Tuscaloosa, Alabama for nothing. Like, not a god doggone thing. Nobody's going to Tallahassee, Florida for a god doggone thing from the months of basically April through August. They're not doing anything in those months. They're not making any money. Nobody's doing anything. It is the quietest little towns in America not doing a god doggone thing. Nobody's going to Augusta or any place like that unless there's a major event. They are propping up these economies. The players have the power. It's just now you know that they have the power. It wasn't about this amateurism where they wouldn't get these opportunities to go play in these, um, the NFL and stuff like that. That's why they should just take this degree and shut up. And a lot of these guys are not going to make it. Yeah, the stats are real. 150,000 players in Division One and FCS levels. And only 500 to crack in the, the door of the NFL. Sure. Gotcha. But they're doing way more than that. You don't need to go pro in order for you to make money for a college or a university or even the freaking economy of a town. When you bring in alumni to that back to that town and that city on a day trip or a weekend trip, they're spending money in those towns. They're putting money in those restaurants. They're putting money in the economy that you just can't quantify without the rationale that if there was not a game, which you're about to find out this year, if there's not a game in those cities that the MAC conference have, like Miami of Ohio and Central Michigan, you're going to see a lot of these businesses go under. And that's the reason why you shouldn't just let them make money off their name and likeness or get a college degree. Um, free and clear room and board. You should also be compensating them at least twenty to thirty thousand dollars a year per player, <laughs> in order for this thing to function and run on a consistent basis. Where you can call them employees and say, "Hey, look, we know that you're risking your life with COVID, but we're giving you PPE in order for you to function. 
during this time. We're giving you the best equipment, the best doctors, so on and so forth. Because the NCAA cut a check to the ACC and my, uh, my alma mater at Florida State. They cut them a check of $15,000. I'm sorry, $15 million <laughs> individually after the bowl season last year. And my team was terrible. But they got $15 million to the institution. Not a god doggone thing went to those players. Not, not, not one thing. But FSU has refaced that entire campus since I left it in 2008. Like, there are buildings there that are gone that my dad used to stay in, but I went to Florida State and they were there. Like, come on now. A college professor shouldn't be making anything near what a college football player should be making because he's not bringing in what that football player is bringing in. And I'm sorry that you may feel differently because this guy got a degree. He got his education. He worked really, really hard. But he's not a prodigy more times than not like the college football player is or could be or potentially be. Because when you have those football alumni being your advertising during a game when they're playing well and they're winning games and they're going to the draft, People want to go to that school. People want to watch those games. People want to come to the city and drive the economy when you got a winner and you got fans in the stands. They want to come and hang out and brag about how their university is actually winning games. So that's pretty much the show for the day. I know I ended on a little sour note. Um, I'll come back and talk a little bit more after pretty much knowing if college football is actually going to kick off and also um, when the NBA playoffs actually start. Um, My predictions right now are that basically Memphis finds a way, even though it's not as exciting. Memphis finds a way to hold on to the number eight seed and beat Portland in a a play-in game. Um, I see that um, right now I lost faith in Philadelphia. I think they're going out in the first round. And and we'll see about anything else. Um, Thanks for listening to the program um, podcast. Um, Again, my sponsor. Two Brothers Detailing, give them a call, 561-572-5854 to schedule an appointment with them. Um, The owner-operator, Baxter Grigsby, he'd be more than happy to schedule an appointment and get you in, and he'll be on time to wherever location you need him to be. He's a mobile detailing service, Two Brothers Detailing. They've been doing my cars for the last year. You can see um, their work on my um, fan page on Facebook. Again, it's Two Brothers Detailing. Give them a call, 561-572-5854. Thanks for listening. Have a great one.